This is the River Tree Canal Fulton podcast, home of the audio for the sermons preached at River Tree Canal Fulton every week. We're so glad you're here. And this week is the final sermon in our series called For Goodness Sake, where we look at the practice of blessing and how it impacts what we say, what we do, and what we have. So today's sermon is on generosity. We pray uh, it just encourages you and challenges you in all the right ways. We have lots happening, including our new series beginning next week called Homecoming. We're celebrating 10 years as a church right in Canal Fulton, Ohio. And uh, we're going to have some familiar voices from our history on the podcast, including Al D'Angelo, Corey Hunka, Daniel Donovan, and Thayer Wallace, as well as Christy and myself. And we are, we're just excited to celebrate God's faithfulness to us. So come join us in person or online as we just remember well the goodness of God to us. Uh, But here's the sermon from this week. Uh, We are blessed to be generous. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. I'm going to read a big passage for us today as as we touch into the last part of our conversation on Um, the goodness of God and how God blesses us for the sake of the world. So uh, this is the word of the Lord from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here's my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality, as it is written... He who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and, those, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should give what they have decided in their heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make All grace abound to you, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, 
your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. The word of the Lord. So we have been in a series that we call, for goodness sake, we've been looking at uh, the practice that we have as a church of blessing each other. We believe every week one of the things that you can do to live as a person that God has sent on purpose to your world is just to be a blessing in your world, to speak blessing, to serve other people, uh, and to give, to be generous towards others. And we've kind of talked through these over the past couple weeks, uh, starting with the creation story that when God created the world, he blessed the world. And the idea behind that is that God created the world with a design to flourish, that life would continue to extend into the world. And when he blesses the world, it's like he promises to give life and to give them the ability to do what he's made them to do. Blessing is a way of God continuing his creative work in the world. So when we look at blessing, blessing is that continuation of God's creative activity in the world. When God blesses anything, he blesses it so that it flourishes and brings life to the world that it's been put in. So a tree that's blessed brings life to the space that it's in. A person who is blessed, it's not blessed so that they have, it's blessed so that the life that God gives can continue on beyond them. And so we talked about this in a couple different ways. The first week we talked about Spock, if you weren't here for that. We talked about how um, Leonard Nimoy based his entire character of Spock and this idea of live long and prosper over the priestly blessing in Numbers. It was a blessing spoken by God through his priest to the world that the Lord would bless them and keep them, that God would himself be the agent of blessing so that as his people were blessed, that blessing would extend into the world and how Part of how we become a blessing in the world is that we receive and live in the blessing of God. We receive his life because in his life is life for other people. The second week, we talked about um, the tongue. And so uh, this guy right here, let him be a little reminder. Christy preached that week on how one of the ways that we are created to bless is through speaking blessing. And that in the book of James, that we find that the tongue can be a very dangerous and divisive thing or it can be... Uh, an amazing tool for life. It can steer us in one direction or another. And one of the amazing things that God does is he puts us in a place to speak life and not death. And, but it's something that we have to be conscious about, that we have to choose to use our words in a way that brings life to the world and not other things. And last week we talked about uh, Undercover Boss and the Washing of Feet by Jesus in John 13. Uh, we looked at this meme uh, as an extension of that that uh, what we do with our life and the position that we have can bring life or death. And a good leader follows the example of Jesus in not holding their position for the sake of their own blessing, but in serving the world around them. So wherever you find yourself as a parent, as a grandparent, as someone who works where you work or go to school where you go to school, wherever you find yourself, if it's in the lowest place or the highest place, you are there because whatever place God's put you in, he's put you then there so that your service can bring life and blessing to the world around you. So this is where we've been. I want you to hear all of that because this conversation, there's a couple of themes that keep coming through this. One is that to be a blessing, uh, there's humility that has to come through the people of God. 
when you realize that you were blessed to be a blessing, that you weren't blessed for your own sake, but you were blessed for the sake of the world around you, uh, that becomes a key theme because what you say, what you do, and what you have become the resources that God has given you, wherever you are, whatever you have or don't have, whatever's in your possession, God says this is for the sake of, of you, but not just you. It's about you, but it's, it's also about being generous for the good of others. So in order to talk about this, we're looking at what is the single longest passage in the New Testament about generosity. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, this is like two chapters worth of deep conversation about what it means for the church to be generous. So outside of the teachings and parables of Jesus, this is like the biggest text that we have to speak to the church about what it means for generosity to be the overflow. And, and some of this comes out of um, what we find the church in Corinth wrestling with. See, they have had an opportunity to be generous to the churches in Macedonia. In Macedonia, there were churches that were, that were planted and were starting to grow, but in the midst of that, there was a lot of poverty. And so what these churches were doing were, is they were selling what they had to meet the needs of the people around them, and that was causing catalytic growth. And this is, this is a really important thing throughout church history the care for, the poor, the marginalized, those without, the sick. These were the markers that set Christianity apart. The generosity of the church throughout history not only transformed the West, but also it was a marker of genuine Christianity, that there was a deep generosity that overflowed. And the church in Corinth had an opportunity to join in this by sending their gifts, their resources to Macedonia to see what was happening there be furthered. And so uh, we see in this passage, one of the things that Paul is, uh, he's kind of coming to remind them that this opportunity is here and that they said, we want to be a part of this. And now it was time to, to actually be generous. But we see that generosity started with a desire to see others flourish. So here's a good marker for you to think about as we start this conversation about what generosity actually means. Um, Generosity actually starts here, when our heart aligns with God's heart to, to see others flourish in a way that they currently are not. So when your heart is moved to be generous to someone, I would tell you that you need to pay attention. I'm not going to say it's always Jesus, but I'm going to say generosity sounds a whole lot more like Jesus than Satan. You, you hear me? <laughs> so some things you have to pray about, but maybe not that much. And generosity is one of those things. Does generosity align with the heart of God? Across the board, and I'm not saying every time your heart's moved, it means that you need to do something. I'm saying you need to pay attention because that's more like Jesus than maybe you anticipate. So you have to be a person like this church who is moved. They hear what God is doing, and there's this impulse to say, we want to be a part of seeing the churches in Macedonia and the people that they are ministering to flourish. There's a part of you that when you are moved to see anyone who's right around you be blessed through the resources that you have, I would say, while it's not an immediate yes, you need to pay attention because the Holy Spirit might be doing something there that is a part of his larger plan and showing his generosity and goodness to the world. So as the church was moved, Paul starts to give them advice. He says, here's my advice about what's best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. There's that heart impulse. He says, now finish the work. 
so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. And that's an important thing. He's not saying, hey, it's time to pony up. You promised an amount. He said, whatever God's given you, if that desire's in you, you need to follow that impulse with an actual move of generosity. For the willingness is there. If the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. This could connect, maybe if you're familiar in the Gospels, the story of the, the widow who gives the who gives a very small amount and Jesus says, this woman is giving more than anyone who rolls in here with a big chest of gold because she's giving out of a generous, risky posture to give because generosity has a risk to it. Generosity is about extending God's compassion to another. It is, it's about the heart not the amount. And we have to keep that in mind as we talk about it because as we talk about our resources, and this includes your money, but it also includes your stuff. It's everything that you have that is yours. Uh, As we talk about generosity, sometimes we can be very quick to limit how generous we can be based on how much we see ourselves having or not having. And so Paul underlines this as he's encouraging them not just to have a heart for generosity, but to follow through on it. He says, I want to remind you that this is not about the amount. It's not about the, uh, the, the surplus or the storehouses that you have. It's about the willingness to be generous and the willingness to extend God's compassion to others. But he's also, at the same time, kind of reminding them, and I love that Paul does this because he's kind of like, hey, I need you to know you wanted to give. The opportunity's coming. You need to be ready to give. <laughs> Because he says, a generous heart is not enough. It has to move to tangible generosity if it's going to bless the world. Um, and so generosity, a desire to be generous is not enough. You have to actually be generous, <laughs> which is great. Uh, I think it's really great because Paul's word here, finish the work. He's basically saying the desire to be generous is not enough. Like you can desire to be generous and yet not be generous. You can have the heart and the want to. And this is true for us as individuals. This is true for us as a church. This is true for you as a family. Or if you want to think about it in any sort of way, the desire to be generous is great, but it is step one of steps to make to then be a generous person. And so the question comes up, how do we move from a people who desire to be generous to to being a generous people? (laughs) From saying, We have a heart to be generous to actually being generous people. This is where Paul is pushing the church in Corinth. And I would say the urge and the push to all of us as God's heart stirs in us to be compassionate to the world. We want to use our words to bless. We want to use our actions to bless. But we also want to use our resources to bless. Is how do we go from the desire to actually practicing generosity? When Paul does this, he leans into two key, it's like pillar truths that he leans into. He says, these are the things that have to anchor you as you practically try to move from a heart that longs to be generous to actually being generous people. And the first thing he does is he says, let's look to Jesus as our example and teacher. So in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, he says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Now this is one, it it puts Jesus at the center, which is what we're always wanting to do. His cross, his resurrection, his life forever being the thing that defines and shapes us. 
not only is life giving to us, but also the example that we follow. When we look at Jesus, we see Jesus who has the resources of heaven, leveraging those resources for those who do not have the resources. We don't have the righteousness, we don't have the, like, and you think about this in every capacity. If the world is broken, not just from a like sin standpoint, but there is, there is sin, there is poverty, there is lack, there is sickness. In all of these ways that God wants to restore the world, he then says, I have all of those resources and I will empty myself of those resources so that the world can begin to flourish afresh. We talk about the kingdom coming and that when heaven comes to earth and all is made new, that there'll be no more tears, no more sickness. It's literally the reverse of all of the lack that we have in every dimension of who we are as humans. Even to the point where death itself will be defeated and there will be a resurrection of the dead because God will restore everything and the abundance of the kingdom will be seen. But Jesus says, when he was in the space where he sees a world that is lacking, his riches, he empties himself out so that those who are in poverty in all of these ways can become rich. This is the example that we are given as to what it means to be a generous church. So generosity means risking having less so that your neighbor has more. Now this is a problem in a world where we, we want others to be blessed, but we also kind of want to still stay blessed. <laughs> Where we're like, hey, I, I want them to have, but if that means me not having, then I don't know. I need to have too, right? And this is, the, this is the risk that Paul's underlining here. Because you don't get to be rich and stay rich and see your neighbors be rich in a world where this brokenness is still at work. When the kingdom comes and everything is restored and made new, and everyone will live in this abundance. It's one thing, but we're in the in-between. We're in between what God has done in the cross and what he will do when he restores everything. We're in a world that has a reality where people don't have what they need, and in order for us to be generous, it will mean us saying, to be like Jesus might mean that I empty myself of what I have so that they have. That Jesus' example says part of the risk of being generous is that your poverty might increase so that your neighbors can decrease. Being a generous church means we have to embrace that, which raises the question in us, well, what if there's not enough? Let's be honest, right? What if there's not enough? There's not enough for us and them. What do we do? And that's a, that's a good, honest question. Sociologically, um, there's been some discussions. I, I find this interesting because I feel like it highlights something that we see in Scripture. Um, one way of thinking about resources is what sociologists have begun to call like a scarcity mindset. So it's the idea that um, the goal is to get more. <laughs> so there's not enough for us all, so I have to make sure that there's enough for me and mine. When you look at the world, it, it's a, a vantage point that says, hey, there are limited resources, there's limited access to these resources, and so the way to live is to make sure that you get more, that you accumulate more. You get as much resources as you can to take care of you. Uh, and it's, it's, as you think about this, most of the world's economy is built on systems where this is the underlying idea. We have to get ours because there's not enough and uh, if we don't, it puts us at risk. And, and, and if we're really honest, we know that that is, it's a reality. 
Like we don't live in a world where the abundance of resources is everyone's experience all of the time. Uh, and, and as we live that way, like we feel the anxiety of this in our world. We feel it right now. I mean, like even in, in the US as we think about our economy, as we think about all of the things that have been happening over the past however long you want to track it back, there's an underlying anxiety about having that exists in our world that we would be foolish to ignore. And our culture feeds into it. My, my friend Dave uh, wrote about this in he said, our culture has convinced us that abundant life is about getting more. More of anything that can be better, newer, faster, and in our hands sooner. The anxious urge to consume now and pay later is fed by a sense of scarcity. Advertising preys on these fears. The average person in the U.S. is bombarded by over 4,000 ads each day. 4,000. Ads often work by implying that our lives are inadequate and unfulfilled, illustrating that we somehow need every excess we want. This ubiquitous consumerism is opposed to the abundant life that Jesus reveals. And you know what? We see the fruit of this in two ways, I think. One is when we approach generosity as something that we do with what's left over rather than something that we build into the way that we live. I will be generous if there's extra, but if there's not extra, sorry. Like that statement, and I'm not even talking about this just as a church, I'm talking about like to our neighbors and the people we work with. Like there's a, sometimes we limit generosity by simply saying, generosity is what I do with what's left. So once I'm taken care of, maybe. But until then, no. But the other thing is like, generosity actually becomes a privilege. We basically start to think that people who don't have a lot can't be generous. It's only people who have a certain amount, who live a certain lifestyle, who have you know, the right amount of whatever you are measuring, then they get to be generous and everyone else is just holding it together. Where honestly, most of the church throughout history, including the church in Macedonia, uh, the churches in Macedonia were poor and they were, more, they were generous to the point where the church in Corinth, who had wealth, was like, oh my gosh, look at what they're doing. They don't have anything and they're being generous with what they have. It's because the, the scarcity mindset says you have to have in order to be generous. And that's, that's a lie. So the opposite of that, like how do we think about this in a different way? Well, some might say, well, we don't need a scarcity mindset. We need an abundance mindset. We need to think about the, the fact that there's plenty. So we don't have to compete for everything. There's plenty enough for everyone. So there's no need to strive for anything. And I want to say that that sounds like the kingdom of God. And it's a picture of the future that's coming, but that future is not here yet. And so I, I want to posture a little bit in saying, I believe that the kingdom is a place where there is abundance. But I believe we live in a world where the kingdom is breaking in through our generousness and God's kingdom advancing ahead of us. But we're not in a reality where there's just no need. And if you don't think that's real, then look at our world. Look at communities that have been marginalized. Look at the systems that we live in. I mean, you can look at any number of things and say, as much as I wish that that was the reality, we're not living in that reality. And so there can sometimes be a false hope um, that kind of sounds like the kingdom of God, but doesn't tap into what the scriptures actually show. And this is where Paul begins to turn. I, I would argue that a premature abundance mindset ignores injustice 
And it places the burden of provision on our faith and not God's faithfulness. That when we think that there's just abundance, this is where I think like the health and wealth prosperity style gospel can really flourish. Because the problem isn't that there's not enough. The problem is you don't have faith that God's going to provide for you. The problem is you don't have enough faith to do X or Y or Z. And that's why you're poor or you're sick or you are fighting oppression or injustice or whatever. And what it does is it puts the weight on us to be the providers in our world by having enough faith or doing enough things. And that's, that's just not what we see in Scripture. And because of that, we can justify or even ignore injustice around us because we think, well, it's, it's a them problem. It's not a... It's, it's because they don't have the faces because they don't believe the right things or they're not doing the right things. And there's no compassion in that. There's no emptying of oneself for the sake of it. There's no picture of Jesus in that framework. And so Paul, he goes to Jesus' example of generosity, but he also goes to the story in Exodus of manna as the example of God's provision. So in chapter 8, he quotes Exodus 16. He says, as it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little didn't have too little. This is a uh, direct lift out of the Exodus story of the way that God provided manna for his people in the desert. See, they grew up in a system where scarcity is what ran the world, and they were slaves in Egypt. They were the have-nots in a system that was running with this scarcity mindset. So as they're brought into the desert, God doesn't just bring them into a place where everything, that, and there's no, there's no lack, and there's no everything. He brings them to a point where day by day, they are dependent on him to provide through the gift of manna. This gift of this, this, they don't even know what it is. That's why it's called, the word manna means what is it? They don't know what it is. But they know every morning when they wake up, it's there. And God tells them, I want you to gather two omers. An omer is a measurement. They think it's about, two omers is probably about three pounds. Like, go out, it's going to be on the ground, get like three pounds of this for every person you have. Um, And it says in the scriptures that some people didn't gather that much, and some people got more than that. But that when they gathered, there was enough for everyone. When they as individuals got, whether it was a different amount, two omers, more, whatever they got, among them, no one was without And this is where I would argue that the mindset that scripture calls us to have when it comes to generosity is what uh, some scholars would call the sufficiency mindset. That there is enough. That there's enough in whatever provision God has given you. And in God's provision for us, there's enough for us and those around us. And this is where it's hard in a country that focuses on individuals to start to think like a community. For us to think that God's provision is both for me and for more than me. And I have to treat this enough as if it has a built-in enough that includes other people. That generosity is baked in, pun intended, to God's provision for me every day. So Paul not only says you need to remember Jesus' example, but you also need to remember that God is our provider. That God is the one who through his grace finds us in the wilderness and provides for us and sustains us through giving us together enough. And thus your generosity 
is a way that the enough is not just enough for you, but you extend the enoughness of God's provision to the world around you. Walter Brueggemann put it this way. He says, wilderness is a place where there's no viable life support systems, but grace is the occupying generosity of God that redefines the place. That when God gives grace, it is to redefine a land that is scarce into a land where there is enough. And as God gives you grace, it is so that there is enough in your world. Not just enough for you, but enough being extended into the world around you. We not only experience God's grace, but we get to reshape our world as a place where grace is experienced through blessing. So words of blessing become a way of extending the enoughness of God's goodness. That as we serve, we extend God's provision. But as we use our generosity, as we use what God has provided, as not just enough for me, but enough for us, what we do is we reshape our world through the grace of God given to us in his provision. So Jesus reveals our example to follow, and the manner reveals how God's kingdom, God's provision operates within his kingdom. This is important because understanding the way of God and the way that God provides gives us courage to follow Jesus's example of generosity. When I see Jesus, who is rich, making himself poor, I can easily say, well, that's Jesus. Easy for Jesus to do. He's Jesus. I'm not Jesus. But he's like, it's not just following Jesus' example. It's following Jesus' example in a world where God provides enough. So the risk of emptying yourself to become poor so that others around you can experience the generosity and grace of God is not risky when God says, I'm gonna keep providing enough. And enough will be enough. And it will be enough for you and beyond you. And you will both experience this in receiving generosity and by being generous. And this is where the community of faith, that is, people are generous towards one another, then it's amazing because, and, and Paul highlights this, he says, your poverty will make others rich and their richness will help you in your poverty. Like there's this give and take that comes in living in community and being generous towards each other that actually allows all of us to live by faith in God's provision because we're living in it together. So three quick things that Paul hits on in the end and we'll be, we'll be done. In light of these truths that, that Jesus gives the example to follow and that God is our provider, he says, here's three things you need to do. First, sow generously. He says this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should give what they have decided in their heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. My pastor uh, was leading a revival in Arkansas at a church that was, uh, it was a church that was dying and wanted to not die. And they brought him in. And one of the things I love, if you ever meet Jeff, he, I call him the preacher. If you ever meet the preacher, you realize one of Jeff's gifts is just getting real in conversations. And so in the middle of the survival, he just pulls up a chair and sits down. He's like, all right, what are y'all anxious about? And they're anxious about dying. And he said, no, tell me like what's happening in your world where you're like, hey, if we could do something, we'd want to do something. And they start talking about all these needs in their community. And so the preacher says, all right, how much money do you have in the bank? And they're like, well... We don't have much coming in, but we have like 2.5 million in reserve. And he goes, you should have had that spent yesterday if these are the needs in your community. And they're like, oh, well, we have this, and we have all these bylaws and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and preacher says something that I'll never forget. He said, 
look, you can have the stories of God's faithfulness and changing your community, or you can have $2.5 million in the bank, but you can't have both. There is a principle in the kingdom of God where as we sow generously, we reap generously. And that's not karmic. It's not anything weird. It is the way that God says he gives so that we can be generous to the world. So one of the things he says, if, if Jesus sets the example and if God is our provider, one of the things you should do is just sow. Sow generously in your world. Second thing, you have to trust God's provision. This is one of the things that takes faith, but I know this room well enough to know that each, like so many of you have stories where it's, I, I think of my friend Tyra, she always says, and then God. <laughs> You're in a situation, you don't know how things are gonna happen, you don't know where ends are gonna meet, or God's asking you to make this step of faith, and all of a sudden, and then God, and you're just like, wow, we saw God's amazing faithfulness, goodness, provision, because we stepped out in faith and we trusted that he would be who he is, and he's himself every time. Paul says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. We have to believe that. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. Listen to that. He has given out his gifts to the poor to everyone. <laughs> like he has given them out, but they're gifts for the poor. They're not gifts for us. They're gifts for those that he wants to take care of and be generous to. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplied seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through your generosity will result thanksgiving to God. There's this so that. And this isn't, this isn't God saying God's gonna make you rich so that you can bless people. It's God saying whatever he provides to you there is a richness and generosity in his provision that is built in for other people. And that in that, like, it's so that you can be generous in the moments where you're moved by the Spirit to do so with whatever you have. And that as we think about this, not only as individuals, but as a collective, as a church, as, as people who are families and in relationship with one another, as we think of generosity as not something I get to do, but that we get to do, we find that as God gives opportunities, and we've had opportunities even since I've been here as a church where someone will call and they'll be like, hey, this is a need that exists. And I look at our numbers and I'm like, we don't have that, but the impulse of God is there. <laughs> And it's like, well, we can have it in the bank or we can have stories of God's faithfulness. And we just have stories of God's faithfulness. <laughs> we have them as a church. We're going into next week celebrating 10 years together and it's 10 years of God's faithfulness above anything else. We see that he provides and we trust that as we follow him, that he will make us rich and generous on every occasion so that through our generosity, like thanksgiving can abound. And this is the third thing and we'll, we'll wrap this up. You need to let your generosity preach. And this is going to sound weird. This isn't about like publicizing on Facebook how awesome and generous you are. But this is something that you got to realize that God has created generosity as a way of revealing his goodness and grace and provision and faithfulness to the world. And that sometimes withholding on generosity is robbing people of the witness of the gospel. That our generosity to others literally could be the thing that pulls the blinds back and helps them see Christ clearly. And so there's times where generosity, it's not just your obedience at stake, it is the other 
who might see and believe and cling to God, that God is moving you to be generous for their sake. Literally, become poor so that they can see me. Be generous so that the world can get a taste of my goodness and grace. Paul says, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you provide yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity and sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace that God has given you. So thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Like a generous church is simply practically making visible the generosity of God. So today, uh, as we think about what it means for us to be a blessing in our world, I want to remind you that we get to speak blessing and we get to act in a way that we serve the world and bless the world. But we're also positioned to be generous with the people right around us. And that's true for us as a church, and it's true for us as individuals. And it's something that we get to do together because in between what God's provided me and you and us, there's baked into that blessing for our world. And we want to be a church that is giving away the blessing that God has baked in. So we're going to take a minute. I'm going to actually invite the team back up. We're going to sing one more song together and then take communion. I know I went a little bit long, but I was fired up. you got to give me a little... It's all right, I actually cut out about two hours, so you're blessed. Um, <laughs> but look, I, I want to end with this quote and just a couple questions. Uh, Lynn Twist says in The Soul of Money, when you let go of trying to get more of what you don't really need, which is what we're all really trying to do to get more of, it frees up immense energy to make a difference with what you have, to be known for what we allocate rather than what we accumulate. There's far more warning in the scripture of people who are gathering for themselves to store up for later days than there are people who don't have enough. God's blessing is on those who are without because God places enough in their midst through the grace that he extends his people so that they can taste and see that God is a provider for his people. So I want you to just take a moment and, and bow your heads. We're gonna sing that song uh, based on numbers. Uh, it's called The Blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. And I want to do this in two ways. One, uh, I just want you to, to receive the blessing of God, that God is the God who blesses so that we can bless. And so some of it is just like, hey, God, whatever you have for me. And I'm not saying like, hey, God, fill my wallet up, although that's fine. Um, I'm saying, God, whatever you have for me in my, in my poverty, with what I need in my soul, in my mind, uh, the things I need to speak, the things I need, the ways I need to serve, the ways I need to be generous, Lord, um, bless me so that I can bless my world. In this time as we sing, I want you to just kind of, and you can even do this physically, just to open your hands and just say, God, whatever you have, I receive your blessing for the sake of the world around me. But second, I want you to think, there are people right around you who need to experience and know the generosity of God. Uh, and if your heart's moving, I'm gonna just urge you to pay attention and to ask God, hey, what are my next steps in this? Because God might have a clear next step and it could be looping some other people into a need that you know of. It could mean uh, that God just says, hey, there's some resources that you have that could be a blessing here. And that could be money, it could mean other stuff. But whatever it is, to say, God, I'm willing to not just have a heart of generosity, but to be a generous person. Show me what my next steps are. 